0: I want to uh, pray with you for the Easter service and especially to pray not just for the service, for the people who are friends and loved ones that you are allowing yourself to be open to to invite for Easter. During the Easter, we will have a chance to pray for those with needs, who have sickness, who have any particular um, desire to see God, the reality of God. And so I would like to pray with you, and pray for these ones. Would you just lift up your hearts to God? And as we are doing that, um, let the Lord place upon your heart people's names or people, loved ones, friends, and impress upon your heart just people to just lift up before the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you Uh, even now, even before we started praying, working in hearts and drawing people unto yourself. And that you have given us the privilege of being working together with you to share and bring forth your power and your love and mercy, your deliverance upon people whose needs of you are so great, so desperate, we thank you, Lord, that you are not sitting idly by, by while people suffer, but you have come close. And we thank you, Lord, for people in our lands, and the places that we inhabit, that you are not passive, you are active right now. We want to be with you, Lord. We want to do your work with you. So we ask you even now, as we lift these ones up, that you draw them unto yourself in Jesus' name. Release your salvation, your deliverance, your hunger for you. For, for you. Even now, we ask you that you will take, take down scales from people's eyes. That you will be known. And something will stir in our lands. So we lift them up before you, Lord. We ask you that you stir this Easter season. In these days that, are, that come before our special meeting, we ask you that even now even before that Sunday on the 9th of, of April, you will move right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome you to come and speak to us too. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I would like to turn with you to uh, the passage of Scripture that Paul wrote <laughs> on Second Corinthians, and we'll look at it at chapter 1. I'd like to, to speak about something quite specific and perhaps you may be able to identify with the situation that Paul speaks about. Second Corinthians, we'll read it from, from verse one and we chapter one, verse one, and we will read it till verse ten. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Archaea, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we uh, suffer. Our hope for you is unshakable, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. It's crushing, right? You know, Paul is not a person who would like um, hides negative things to people. He, he says, I want you to know about this. Not because he wants to, be, to give full disclosure, but because there is a blessing in it. But we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, so pushed to the edge, right? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Death had been pronounced on them already. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You, must, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So I would like to talk about the comfort of God. The comfort of God is not actually just comforting words. The comfort of God, um, the word for comfort is paraklesis. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. Yeah? He's the one who's our comforter. And when God uses the word comfort, or comforter, he does, just not, does not just mean comforting words, kind of, oh, diddum's poor thing. I'm standing by you. No, he's talking about something far greater. The word for comfort uh, that's used in the New Testament is derived from the Hebrew word for comfort, naham or nahim. Yeah? It is, has to do with the breathing of the Holy Spirit, the breathing of the life of God upon a believer. Breathing of His life. It's a transfer of God's life, supernatural life upon us. It has not only to do with comforting words, but it has to do with God speaking into our situation and lifting us up by supernatural power. The comfort of God is not just uh, something that is psychological, even though it it does include that, but it is also the comfort that has to do with deliverance. An actual external way in which God acts into the situation. So Paul is talking about something that is very much more profound. It is nothing less than the Holy Spirit. So when he talks about the comfort with which God gives to us, he means the power of God. But it's not just the power of God in an external way. It has to do with the power of God that speaks as well. There's a word in it. There's a word of comfort that is personal, that's just for you and me. But it also does miracles. Amen? So when Paul is talking about comfort, he doesn't mean just comfort. He means co- comfort in the psychological sense or emotional sense. He does include all that. But it is, a, it is something more. It, it is not of this earth. It is from heaven. It is, ex- it is from the other side, so to speak. It is something it, that actually has the power to actually pull you out of a tight situation. Pull you out of a, a, a need for a miracle. Uh, 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 the need for a miracle. Pull you out of that. And cause you to experience the impact of God's power upon you. So when we are talking about comfort, we're not talking about the word consolation in sort of consolation prize, just to make you feel not so bad about yourself. Yeah? In fact, the Messiah was called the consolation of Israel. The same word. Yeah? The same word. The consolation or the the comfort of God. It's not just comfort in the sense, in the sense of an, an external thing. Uh In which God actually gets you out of a tight situation, it has to do with God personally coming to us and lifting up, us up so that we experience His love. amen It's a very powerful thing. Paul says that sometimes we have to be we are in situations that require that that strong ministry of of the Holy Spirit to us to break through, and when that happens, the quantum of that divine grace right is that which you you possess, and you are going to give that to other people so that you can comfort Nahim. Comfort. Parakaleo. Comfort other people with that thing that you received. It is not a manipulation of circumstances or manipulation of words. It's not a manipulation of emotions or psychological um, 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 uh, uh, advice but it has to do with a substance, something that came from heaven. And I like to talk about this because this comfort comes a lot of times when our prayers have not been answered. It comes in the wake of, and the aftermath of, tremendous disappointment. And so, I feel that God wants to do this in us so that the comfort, that deep comfort that we have comes at a time when things have not worked out as far as what we are hoping God would do. Okay? So here here Paul says, this is the comfort that will happen. Um, And so he describes it. He describes it in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in, in Asia. And he begins to open this up. And you can feel his pain to some extent, for we were so utterly burdened, utterly burdened, beyond our strength. That means he had ran out of strength. It probably didn't look that pretty. No stiff upper lip. That, that lip had already collapsed. <laughs> burdened beyond our strength, and we despaired of life itself. Talk about despair that Paul experienced. He despaired of life itself. That means there was absolutely no chance. It's almost as if you pray for something to happen, or you pray for something not to happen, and you pray that God will preserve you, you pres- that He will preserve the circumstances, the relationships, the, the structures of things, that they will not be destroyed, right? And then they get destroyed. They get destroyed. It's like the thing you prayed for, the, the very thing that you hope will not happen, that you prayed will not happen, happens, and you're left in the aftermath. And he says, "So what happened? What, what what do I what do I think of God now?" You know. He's talking about that zone after the disappointment has happened. He's talking about that zone after you prayed and prayed and prayed and things didn't happen, and then the very thing that you hope will not happen happened. And that's what he's talking about when he says we despaired of life and had the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on not ourselves, but God who raises the dead. That means after the death happened, after the death of hopes, after the death of all the prayers. I wonder whether some of us have experienced that. I'm sensing there's some of that in the room today that you have experienced tremendous despair, and after praying, you've come to a point where praying is not changing the circumstances. And the very thing that you hoped would not happen, happened. And what God is saying through Paul is this, that we will not rely on ourselves, but on Him who doesn't prevent death, but raises from the dead. That is the comfort that He's talking about. The comfort that comes after all has been lost. You remember the time when Paul was on the ship with the the rest going and there was a storm. And they were all praying that the ship would be preserved. And it didn't get preserved and it got completely wrecked on the rocks. And Paul says, don't worry, I believe God. We will come in on broken pieces of wood. And in in that, God deserved, but did a greater thing. I want to talk a little bit about that because what God is speaking has has to do with an experience that perhaps you are going through now. I've experienced this. It's become a familiar friend for me for the past few years. And that has to do with despair. It has to do with hopes completely being sunk. It has to do with the torment of The sentence of death, so to speak, that is upon you. The hopelessness, that in spite of all the hopefulness that you can garner together, everything breaks. And you have no more emotional strength to carry on. You have no more emotional strength to keep a stiff upper lip. All that's gone. And it is in this place that Paul is talking about a zone of comfort. Not comfort zone. It's a zone of divine comfort. It is a very precious place that God has for us here. Indeed, we felt, verse 9, that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. After you've died, it's not over yet. And I'm not just talking about death, physical death. I'm talking about the death of hope. The death of anything you can do to prevent yourself from from a complete disaster. When all the friends that you have, all the things that you thought about Christianity have not panned out. There's this zone that we experience. We're constantly trying to protect ourselves from going there. We're always trying to present, protect ourselves from the, that, that place of death. And sometimes, it just slides all the way there. And I just feel that the Lord's saying, it's not over yet. And I want to say to you, it's not over yet. Because when there's nothing you can see that can save you, that you can hold on, there's nothing on you, on you that you can rely on, God has brought you to that point. It is in this place where hope that's divine, that's supernatural is birthed. Every hope before that is human. Every hope before that is circumstantial. Every kind of hope before that, no matter how much we pray, is limited. It is when hope is lost that's where the hope of God begins to come. And God is going to bring us there. I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't want to believe that before. I, believed, I was wanting to believe that by prayer, we can escape those places. Because God is a God who preserves, correct? Sometimes we experience not a God who preserves, but a God who resurrects. Because the resurrection sometimes is going to be better than the preservation. And I sense that there are some of us who need that. You don't need the preservation of something old. You need the resurrection of something new. Yeah, And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Actually, there's this place that God is speaking about. And like, like, let's, let's go deeper into that, okay? Okay. Um, Verse, uh, let's go back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, who breathes or sighs or, or releases His life upon us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, that, kind of, that distinct kind of comfort, not like any other comfort, not from earth, from heaven, which we ourselves have received from God, that have been comforted by God, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul is saying, I want to teach you how to experience that comfort, comfort that comfort that's supernatural. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which we experience when we patiently endure the same sufferings. What Paul is saying is this. Actually, we allow ourselves to be put into places where we will suffer and experience the comfort. But it's for you. It's for your sake. Not just for our own survival, but so that we can minister that thing which we've experienced to you. That's why parents go through so much for their children. So that they can experience the comfort of God that they can give to their children. That's why ministers of God suffer so that that release of God's supernatural comfort can be ministered to other people. If not, you can only identify. You can only empathize. But it's you and me with the same limited resources giving to someone who needs resources more than I can give. And what Paul says is this, when I go through suffering, there is an anointing that's actually going to come upon me, the breathing of the Holy Spirit, the parakaleo, the Paraclesis, pericles, per- the noun, that will come to you. I want that. I've been a minister for more than uh, 35 years. I want to be able to minister not empathy, not Bible knowledge. I want to minister that which I don't have. So for, your, for our lands, the places where we are wanting to minister to people, in our vicinity, we want to minister not ourselves. Correct? Ourselves, not much good. It's limited. It'll only draw people att- people's attention to you. Pe- you It'll only say how nice you are. But it's not that powerful. It's not enough. We want to know what we want to do is to minister the power of God. What great people really need. The thing that really heals. The, really, the thing that really delivers and transforms if you feel that your ministry to people is just human, that it doesn't feel that supernatural, perhaps God will bring you to this place. And when you come to this place, you just feel like you're hopeless. You've just fallen apart. And I sense that there are some of us that could have experienced such things, and you just feel there's nothing in me that is any good. It's just completely hopeless. And you go through this process in which you wish you're a better Christian, you wish you hold, held up better. You wish you were more godly. You wish you, wish you were more patient. And you, you're not. You wish you are more hopeful. But you come, you come to prayer and you don't have a prayer in you. You don't have any optimism in you. No, not a hope. And God brings us to these places so that we will experience the edge of it. I used to wonder what it meant when Isaiah 43 says, When you go through the waters, you will not drown. When you go through the fires, you will not burn. Have you ever come across that, chap- that verse? Isaiah 43. I did not like that. I did not like that. I did not like the idea that I will go through the waters and go on the fire. And I used to wonder, what does it mean to go through the fire and not be burned? Can I just not go through the fire? Can I I strategically pray my prayer so so that that circumstance will not happen? I prefer that, don't you think? I prefer God the preserver than the God the one who resurrects. And I used to wonder what it's like to be the burning bush. There's fire all around you, but the promise is that the bush will not be consumed. But I hate to be brought so close to that. I don't know about you. I hate the idea of being close to the fire and having to go through the fire. I wondered what that's all about. And then I went through it. I went through it again and again and again and again and again. In fact, my whole life seems to be that way. And if your life is one in which you're trying to const- constantly pray and manipulate your circumstances so that that will happen, you're going to be very disappointed because you won't have a theology, you won't have, a, you don't have an answer for why you have to go through so much suffering. What God says through, through, through the burning bush, through Isaiah chapter 43, when He says, you'll go through the waters but you will not drown and all that, He says you come very close to it. You'll come close to it to such an extent that something will die inside you I was debating whether to share from that incident in, in Abraham's life where God spoke to him to go up to the Mount, Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. We won't have time to really look into it. But I wonder what it's like to come so close to the point where you're supposed to, to kill your own son. May I suggest to you that we come close to such, such places but in every place where the Scripture te- speaks to us, whether it's Isaiah 43, Moses, uh, sorry, uh, um, uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, or the burning bush, or any of these, of these places, or Daniel and his three friends coming so close, the promise is that you will not die. And that's because Christ has taken your death upon Himself. The reason why the burning bush didn't consume the bush is because Christ took upon Himself the death that we have. But something will die when we come close to it, don't you think? I'll put it to you that God did not want Isaac to die. He wanted Abraham to die. That sacrifice of Isaac was not about the death of Isaac. It was about the death of Abraham. Because when that happens. Isaac became a supernatural son. He says, Because of this, your descendants will possess the gates of the enemy. They'll be special. They're not just masses of protoplasm. They'll be people who will be special. How does God change that? How 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 does God move that, right? That's what we want. What we want is to come out of today with the comfort of God, the comfort of God. Amen. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 11, and we will look at a a way in which this plays out. Okay, John chapter 11, and we'll come back to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1 again uh, later, hopefully. All right, let's look at John chapter 11. Here's a situation before Jesus' death and resurrection. word has been sent to Jesus that Mary and Martha's son, uh, sorry, not son, uh, brother Lazarus was dying. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus who was dying. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that funny? He loved them, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That was his love there. Go figure. Come Jesus, quick! He's dying. So, decides, so Jesus, because he loves him, stays another two days. Sometimes it's really hard to understand God, don't you think? Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, "Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And what Jesus is trying to say is this: there is a light that's guiding you. It's an uncreated light. And if you walk in that, you don't worry about circumstances. You see something more, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in that night, in the night, without the light of God, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So the disciples were stumbling because they they knew data." They knew people were wanting to stone Jesus and it stumbled them. They, it, the data that he had, the, the, the created light, so to speak, that he had, the light that's human, that's natural, got in the way of them seeing the supernatural things. Yeah? After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciple says, oh, good. Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So disciples are are following this on a completely super, uh, 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 um, um, superficial level. Yeah. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has actually died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Let's go. Move on. We'll jump over a few verses. Verse 17, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So he had died. He was too late. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come in to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. Yeah? So Martha is saying, Jesus, if you had answered our prayer to come quickly, this would not have happened. right? This would not have happened. So Martha's prayer, so to speak, that request to Jesus, was that Jesus would change circumstances. He would alter circumstances, preserve Lazarus' life, so that he won't die. Correct? Martha's prayer was basically in the realm of circumstance and situations where she was basically praying, Lazarus will die if you don't come quickly. If you come quickly, you can prevent him from dying. So her prayer was that Jesus would come quickly and prevent him from dying. Got it? Verse 22, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus, Martha is looking at Jesus as this prayer bazooka where Jesus is so powerful. You know, our prayer is not that great, but Jesus, your prayer is full of faith and full of power. If you pray, you can do better than us. So what what Martha wanted was a powerful person who can pray the circumstances aright. Okay? And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. I don't know whether she really understood what he was saying. What he, Jesus was saying here is this. You are praying, hoping that the prayer will be so powerful that the circumstances will deflect from death. Okay? Correct? You are praying so that this thing will not happen. Jesus is saying this: your brother is going to live. Not because you prayed a powerful prayer. Not because I'm your prayer bazooka. But because I am the resurrection and the life. I have overcome death even before my own crucifixion. Your faith does not lie in prayer. Your faith lies in the fact that I'm the resurrection and the life. And that not only for Him, but for everybody else, He will not die, but He will be raised. What Jesus is saying is this, you are hoping that prayer will just do something. How do you pray he will do something. More Technique, prayer techniques, You will do something. You're hoping that prayer would manipulate circumstances and situations. Amen? You're praying the preserved kind of prayer. What Jesus is saying is this. The issue is not prayer. The issue is the fact that I am the resurrection and the life. Eternally, I was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, even before Lazarus died. I overcame death for Him already. And because of that, I'm going to let you see this brush with death. I'm going to see you walk through this death. And when you walk through this death, when everything seems lost, you will find that I'm the resurrection and the life. And you will see something greater. You will experience the comfort of God, the nahim of God, the, the... paracresis of God, the way in which in this situation that looks deathly, when everything's gone, you will experience my life flowing through. You will be changed by it and you will believe. That's why Jesus says, I'm doing this, I'm glad that this is happening so that you will have the power to believe. If, if not for that, you're just going to just try to believe. You're going to try, try, try to sort of hold on and hang on and cling on and try to manipulate your mind. No. I'm going to give you the gift of belief. It's, it's supernatural. It comes from God. You can't, you can't generate it yourself. It's not extreme, extreme op, op, optimism raised up to the nth degree. No, what I'm wanting to have is something that, is, that can only come through death. It can only come when you die to your own hopes. It can only come when you die to your own self-reliance or your, only, your, or your reliance on circumstances changing. In fact, it's not dependent upon any circumstances going your way. It is this and you will face the disappointment full in the face and in the full in the face when there's no more faith, then there's no more hope, there's nothing. Hope rises. Not from the ground, but from heaven. Does that make sense? I want to take you to a new dimension in which in that dimension you will not be destroyed by death. You will experience despair even of life itself, descendants of death upon you. You will actually go through into the, into the tomb and you will die and it will be confirmed that you are dead. You will experience what it is to go up to Mount Moriah. You will experience what it is to go up and, and put Isaac on the, on, on, the, um, on, the, on the pyre and then what it is to take your knife to, and then find that in all this, there was a lamb that was provided for you and that lamb was my sacrifice on your behalf. That on account, my own account, you will be freed. What God is saying is this. You are known, you're not going to be afraid when circumstances don't turn out the way you, are, you like it to be. That after you have been completely disappointed, and in the aftermath of all that, you will stand and real hope will start happening for you. Because I will start resurrecting life. I will... But the resurrection life will not be the resurrection of something old, but it will be the resurrection unto something new. That's where the comfort will come. Amen? So Jesus comes in, and Mary and Martha are functioning on the circumstantial plane again. Prayer is to make the circumstances better, to change the situation, give us a miracle. All that. Comes and Martha is, and Mary comes in, and Mary, in verse 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's, func- she's functioning on the same plane, right? Why am I going on, on about this? The reason why is because actually God wants us to come into a new dimension of. His presence and His power so that prayer is not just the, um, the, the striving, praying hard for God to do something different. Actually, God wants to show us what happens after all those things fall apart. And I feel that there's a word for someone whose life has fallen apart. You're not sure whether God can be trusted or not. You've done everything that you could. And it hasn't happened yet. And so Jesus says, sees her weeping in verse 33. Saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with him also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now, a lot of Christians focus on the fact that Jesus wept because of the fact that Jesus had empathy. That is not where the power is. The fact that Jesus wept is, speaks of the fact that he loved, he loved Lazarus, that he is not um, dispassionate about, about this, that Jesus loved him, but also it says that he groaned in the Spirit as well, that there was something inside him that was sp- destroying, getting, taking hold of the spirit of death, defeating the spirit of death. And so the Jews see, see how he loved him. Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And in some ways we can think, well, maybe Jesus has the power to um, heal heal the blind, but maybe raising the dead is too high uh too tall an order for him. Maybe he's not that, that powerful. He's very powerful, but not that powerful. Could he or not? And they were functioning in the, the wrong realm, so to speak, Yeah, wrong criteria. And then verse 38, Then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. So you can see that Martha and and Mary and and that family were basically trying to stuff up the odor, to stuff up the negative, try to work as best as they could so that things would would just hold up. And Jesus said to them, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and all the stink that they, 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 they feared would come out did not come out. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Lazarus, come out! And his authority with which he spoke was so powerful that Lazarus came up, He had the bedclothes, so he had to be jumping out right, right? The, the 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 dead, the dead clothes, not bedclothes Lazarus was just jumping up here because of the fact that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. Can you see that what was happening was this Jesus who had overcome death, had authority over death, he had authority over hopelessness and despair, he had authority over the the circumstances that we are having in such a way that when he called out, he was resurrected. It was not rooted in the fact that they prayed a lot. It was not rooted in the fact that they were praying the prayer of preservation. But it was rooted in the fact that wherever you find yourself, wherever they found themselves in that whole process of the slide, he had authority so that wherever you have your process in which things are falling apart, He has authority. He has authority over the circumstances. And sometimes it's not changing the circumstances, but trusting in Him. That's where the comfort comes. The comfort comes when God actually releases upon us a whole change on, on the inside of us. Or else, our inside is not changed. You're just still trying to push for push for prayers to be answered, push for the circumstances to change, push for the other person to change, push for the for the situation to be altered. You're always pushing, 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 and that that's not where prayer happens. Have you ever prayed for things in which you're so nervous about that you're so afraid about what the result would be? Have you ever prayed? in such a way that the result that you're praying for is absolutely crucial. And if that that thing doesn't happen, everything falls apart. I've been in situations in which my own sense of peace depended upon certain outcomes taking place which I prayed for. What happens when those outcomes don't turn out? Is there any hope? And this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about Second Corinthians. In chapter 1, he says, he comforts us in all our affliction so that through all that affliction, we will experience the comfort of God that we can pass on to you. I love that. So how do we get into this zone? What is this comfort zone? Or rather, the zone of comfort. Yeah? It's past the point of hope. It's past the line. It's past, the, past our ability to even pray. With hope. And yet it is in this place where God is actually going to release something that we didn't have before. It is where God draws us into not more prayer, more more pushing, but into a place of trust and a place of surrender. You know, when I had my cancer. Um, um, diagnosis I knew what it is to pray the prayer of faith pray the prayer of faith and, and as I prayed I realized that there was something off about the way I was praying I was praying that an outcome would happen in which the numbers would go down the PSA would go down all these things would go down and every time I saw the doctor, I would be so nervous, I would be so worried that all that prayer of, 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 of changing the, the outcome, of the, out, the, 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 the circumstances, seemed to not give me any comfort. And I realized that it is not about how much I believe. I could only have so much belief. What if God wanted me to actually die? What happens if all the prayers that I prayed did not happen? And so each visit to the urologist brought bad news. You can believe that I prayed tremendously for that. It seemed like I was completely alone in this fight. And, 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 and people did not know what to say to me when I told them, oh yeah, um, pray for me. I have this cancer thing. Many people just didn't know what to say. And I believe in healing. But my belief in healing constantly seemed to be met by bad news. I hated going to see the urologist and, and taking my blood test because each time Instead of having good news, I'd have bad news. And so I came to a place where I had to seek the Lord and I asked, what is this? What should I believe? I felt the raw worry and fear in the face of another test. Then the Lord spoke to me. Trust in me. Okay. Trust in me. And I said, what do you mean by that? Trust in me. Trust me means that when you come to this place where you cannot rely on your prayer, you have to trust that I have something good for you. You have to trust and leave it all in me. You cannot manipulate me. You cannot control me. You cannot control me by your prayer. I don't do what your prayer says. I invite you into prayer so that you can do what I'm doing. You can enter in with me. Does that make sense? So I realized that what God was saying to me is this, I want to bring you to a place of trust and then I will comfort you. I will give you what you need. And you have to trust me that what I give you is better than what you would have got for yourself if I answered your prayers. And God began to speak to me, if you come into that, you will be so glad that I did not answer your previous prayer because I have something better than what you're praying for. And when that happened, God began to transform my life, transform my heart, gave me no, no worries about it, no fears about it. Because I, I realized that the issue was not whether I can pray hard enough for the cancer to go, but I can trust Him. Hello? If it was about praying that the cancer will go, then everything depends upon my praying. You realize that. Everything depends on my faith. Everything depends on my positivity. And honestly, at that time, I did not have that much to spare. I needed something more that doesn't depend on me. If the strength of the chain lies in in the weakest link, and the weakest link is my prayer, my faith, then God help me. Especially when you've gone through trauma especially if you've gone through hard things and you find that you've, you're weary of everything. What you need is for God to comfort you. you ha- and for that to happen, you have to surrender. And that is why God said to Abraham, you have to take Isaac up. If you don't take Isaac up and surrender him as a burnt offering, you will always be worried about Isaac. You will always be striving with me, with circumstances, and with Isaac. You cannot. If you keep on praying the prayer that will cause the circumstances to be favorable to to Isaac, all this is okay. But if you rely on that, you will never know how much I care for him. How much you can trust me. You will never know my comfort. And so Abraham had to go up and say Abraham had to die to Isaac. He himself had to die so that, not Isaac, but he had to die so that as he surrendered him to God, he began to realize that God had already provided for Isaac. And I had to know that God had provided for me. He had to provide for me not because I prayed to him, but because of the fact he's the resurrection and the life. He always, already was. He's already provided for you and me. Amen? When that happens, when that happens, you will begin to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He begins to free you up. Amen. He begins to free you up so that every endeavor doesn't become an endeavor that is fraught with your own hard work and your heart, your own kind of being on the edge. It becomes something that's a free thing. It becomes some, something in which you're freed up to 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 be receiving from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians he says he says if we are afflicted it is for your comfort and salvation and if we are comforted it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So he's saying you get the comfort when you patiently endure. The word patiently endure is uh, the word hupomene, which has to do with not just kind of a passive like kind of take it easy, take, take it take it patiently. It is has to do with the fact that in hupomene, the idea is this Something rises within you that refuses to be subjugated to hopelessness. Something rises in you that cannot be defeated. It is not of you. So in James, for example, add to your faith patience or long-suffering. What he's saying is this. As you grow, the Lord will add to you Something so strong, so tough, that it is resistant to doubt. It's resistant to despair. In your despair, as you surrender to the Lord and you, you, you trust Him, something arises that is resistant to the despair you're experiencing. And I've experienced this in my despair. I, I am comforted by God and something of the hypo the thing that's resistant to despair, rises up. And I find that despair just scattered. This is what God has for us. It's not something that is a result of our own hard work in prayer. It's our hard work in faith or our hard work in holiness. It has to do with the grace of God. So when he says, the Lord comforts us, what he's saying is this, we are brought into this zone where as we wait upon the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to seep in. The more we trust, the more we let go, the more we take, not take control of these things, the Lord begins to come, and we begin to hear, and we begin to see something. Something of God begins to take over, amen. You know, actually, this uh, this this passage reminds me of when Zeffie was in uh, in FGA in, in KL, and she preached on it. She preached on the comfort of God. She preached on comfort ye comfort me, my people. I say to the nation, the, to the to the to the my people, your warfare is over, your burden is gone, you know, all that. And she explained the, the word comfort in the Old Testament. And then she gave an example. She says, when she was 15 or 16, she was in a swimming t- swim team in which she was always being compared with this other swimmer, who's a, a fantastic swimmer, amazing swimmer. And both of them were on a national level swimming on age group. But because of the fact that she was constantly being compared with her, it really got her down. really got her down to such an extent that when she swam, she could have no freedom to swim. And in swimming, you've got to know this. If you are relaxed, you will swim faster. If you are not relaxed but you are tensed up, no matter how hard you swim, you will be slow. And she experienced that in her life. But the Lord spoke to her, from that word, comfort, nachim. And she explained uh, in KL, she says, I had this problem in which I couldn't get out of this conundrum in which I was being compared and the more I'm being compared, the more tense I was. And she said, all I could do was to wait upon him. Just wait upon him. I asked her the question, so what else did you do? She says, no, I just waited upon him until trust began to come. I want to put it to you that if you wait long enough, trust will come to you. You can trust all you can, but when trust comes to you, it's something that God is. We may not be the most trusting of people. You may have issues with trust. Don't worry. We all have. But when God comes and He begins to put that trust in, it's not yourself, it's God. And he says, at some point, I trusted him and it wasn't an issue anymore. He had to wait a while, but he came. And there it was, on that meet, in which she felt for the first time a certain freedom. And she was able to not relate to that other swimmer with any kind of competition, but just with charity. And she said to them, that day, I swam the fastest time in the 200 fly in the whole country for my age group. That's the comfort of God. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. My father, um, he shares his testimony. He shared his testimony. He was uh, doing his PhD in London, uh, London University, Russell Square. We all went with him to, to England. And... Uh, my mom t- tells me, your father used to be very, very hardworking, but also a bit proud about his academics. So the PhD was very, very important. He had, uh, he had a Ford Foundation scholarship to, to, and was sent by his university to finish his PhD there. And he went, and everything went wrong. His supervisor was a, had, a, had a, some serious political problems with the rest of the Senate. And so, because of that, uh, all his his work was put aside, and his supervisor had no time for him. And so, the the thing is, we prayed, we prayed that it will go well. And at the end of three years in England, he had to go back without his PhD. Go back to the university and work, after having spent three years with studying and then going back empty-handed. It broke him. It just broke him. All the, pra- all the prayer that we had prayed, all the things that we had done, nothing happened. You came back, and God dealt with him. And when God dealt with him, He humbled him to the such an extent that the outcome, the, the whatever the status that you would have with a PhD from London, was no longer an issue. And I realized that when we were living in England, there was a lot of tension in our, ho- in our home. A lot of tension. But when he came back without his PhD, all the tension left. He was completely relaxed. <laughs> At that moment, he got a call from his supervisor in London. He said, come back, represent. So he represented, and he got a distinction for it. He was one of the, you know. A few years later, the Holy Spirit moved. And my dad was caught up in the charismatic movement. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of holding on to his position, he was by, then, by that time the dean of education in the University of Malaya. He took early retirement just to get into the revival. And he moved from being a professor to be a past, being a sort of a pastor of a church. And the rest of the story, many of you know that. But I saw the difference in his life. Does that make sense? He was freed up. And at, that, at a moment in which there was maybe limited li- leadership in Malaysia, in the, in the church, God used him. He had no seminary education. He has no particular, you know, particular gifts for, for preaching. In, in, in fact, throughout all the time that his, his church was growing into the thousands, he did not like to preach. He was the quietest pastor you ever ever, ever seen. He would run away from preaching. The, group, the church grew from 600 to 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000. 9,000, 10,000, and you never hear him preach. He said to everybody, I'm the most boring preacher. You don't want me to preach. So he did everything from the background, you know? But He got freed up. I know what it is to prepare for a sermon for the whole week and then come Saturday night. I'm sweating bricks. Sunday morning, I wake up at 4.50 in the morning to prepare. Sometimes, before the service, at 9 o'clock, I still don't have a message because I'm committed to speaking only what I heard from God. If I did not hear from God, I can't preach. I just can't. Nothing comes. And so because I'm committed to that, to try to hear as best I can, what the Lord is speaking, I find myself sometimes in situations where at nine thirty I have abs- I'm a bunch, a bundle of nerves, because I had no idea what God is going to say. But in all these forty years of ministry, I have never found that God has let me down. Somehow, something will come up but it will come up in such a way that in the last five minutes or so, I'll be so inspired, it'll just come. But I've learned that when, those, when, 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 when I'm praying, I'm sweating bricks, the Lord frees me up when I realize there's no message. There's no message. And I'm freed up. That's the freedom that God wants to give to us. Because when the freedom of the Holy Spirit is, is, is here, you know, when the Spirit of the Lord is freedom, there is freedom, and He, he begins to do to stuff in our lives. The comfort of God comes as, a, as, a, as an anointing that He gives to us as that happens. So when we are brought into the zone of comfort, we experience hypomeni. Somehow God will drop into us that freedom, that resistance to despair. You have to wait upon it. You have to wait for it. It's worth waiting for. Waiting is the easiest thing and yet it's the hardest thing. But if you have the hunger for it, waiting is all you need, because He will do that. What He will do is that He will begin to speak to us, He'll begin to challenge us to let go of things, and when we let go, He begins to free us up. Amen? Praise God. Okay, I think I've said everything. Oh yeah, one more thing. There was a, and I'm going to end with this. There was a man who, when I was in Malaysia who was a non-Christian and uh, we had been praying for him because um, he was a relative of a member of our church and very, very resistant to Christianity, a self-professed atheist. But one thing happened to him and that is that his child got very, very sick. And because of that sickness, he started coming to the church. And he said, I'm willing to consider Christianity if God will heal my child. So we started praying for him. We went on a 24-hour prayer chain to pray for him. And the child got worse and worse and worse. He had cancer. And we had every reason to believe that God would do something. But the child died. And I remember as a pastor, not knowing what to say to him. After we had prayed and shared with him encouraging words and all that. Thank God we never said God was going to heal him. But we did pray and we did try to encourage him. In the end, the child died. And I remember going to the hospital immediately when the news came that the child had died. And I was thinking, what am I going to say to him, you know? I went into the hospital room, and he was holding the child who had died. And he was weeping, his wife was weeping. And he said, thank you for coming. I want to become a Christian now. Because God has softened my heart. And I've seen his love for my child and for my, for my family. And he became a Christian then. He became a leader in our church as well. He became the most vocal exponent of Christianity. He would go everywhere. He worked in the education ministry as a, as a director. So he used his position to just share about Christ everywhere that he went. And many people came to the Lord. And he would share his testimony about how God brought him to himself through his that child who died. Go figure. Go figure. Years later, he himself got cancer. and So we started praying for him. Again. We prayed for him. And as we prayed for him, we saw that he was slipping away. And he had shared with him how much faith he had that he would be healed. But he was not healed. He actually died. But before he died, a month or so before he died, I saw his face getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Even as his body was wasting away, the glory of God was upon him. He became to be more and more and more joyful. He said to me, Michael, I feel like one of my feet is in heaven already and I'm trying to get the other foot to the other side as well. And I don't know why I have to stay around. God had transformed him. You see, in that zone of comfort, something else is operating. It's not dependent upon circumstances. It's not dependent upon the factors that that, that, that are on earth. It has to do with God taking us to another dimension. Amen? And that's the comfort of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come before You whatever the circumstances we're in, whatever the disappointment we've had, and whatever the pain that we have prayed about has inflicted upon us. We thank You, Lord, that when everything has fallen apart, You remain. And so we pray for every single person here today, including our loved ones, who know what it is to go beyond the zone of hope into the place where hope has been lost. And find that you are there when things fall apart. So we come before you Lord even now. And we ask you that even now that you would pick us up. Every single person right now. Every tense grip on the situation we release to you. What we want is your comfort. If you don't mind, just open your hand and just lift them up to the Lord. Situations that are in the balance, some of us. Situations in which we prayed and we don't know why it didn't work out. The prayer of preservation. What God wants to give us is resurrection. We don't know how you do it. We don't know how you enter into things that we are worried sick about but we lift them up before you we are in your hands Lord now we ask you that you release the comfort of the Holy Spirit as we surrender to you breathe upon us praise your name just welcome him I just see hands and fists that are white with tension, trying to hold on, just letting go, letting go to God, not being irresponsible, not just dropping it, just drop, dropping it in His hands, and then being held up by His hands. He's the resurrection and the life. In every situation, Without exception, He will carry you through every situation. You will go through the waters, but you will not drown. You will walk through the fires; you will not be burned. I know that some of us are very close to the fire, and you hate that you have to walk through that. The Lord would say, you will not be burned. I'm here to comfort you. I have something for you. I will give you belief and faith that you never had before. You trust me. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to generate it. You just wait upon me. Set your eyes towards me. Now let me take over. So Lord, we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.